This is the Action Network Podcast. And it is good! All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. This is the Big 12 betting preview. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. Ready to uh, argue some Oklahoma-Iowa State, brother? Potentially our last Big 12 conference preview in the history of college football. It's, it's a little sad. This has been one of our most fun conferences to bet. The fact that we don't, we might not ever get the chance to talk about Kansas football, if they're going to even going to win a game, that kind of brings a tear to my eye. So this could be it for the Big 12. Yeah, depending on where Kansas goes, you could have like Kansas win totals at like three and a half, four instead of one and a half. We'll get to Kansas and everyone's died. That's the reason most people are tuning in here today. And obviously we're alluding to some of the Big 12 news swirl about Texas, Oklahoma joining the SEC. When then what's the fall for the rest of the teams of the conference? We're going to talk with friend of the podcast, Brett McMurphy here in just a moment. We'll start there, kind of clear the air on some of that news. There's no better person to talk to. And then we'll jump into profiles for all 10 teams, close up with just our favorite win total future Big 12 title game prediction, and uh, get out of here. So without further ado, let's bring in Fred of the Pod, Mr. Brett McMurphy. Okay, we are now joined by friend of the podcast, Brett McMurphy, America's college football insider. You can find him. Sources. Sources for days at Brett underscore McMurphy on Twitter. I mean, we're, we're doing the Big 12 preview today, and uh, I, I think that there's some news with the Big 12 in the college football world. I So I've heard this is why we brought Brett on to kind of catch us up, because there might be some news out there. What's going on, Brett? Hey, guys. Glad to have me. Maybe one of these days you'll have me on more than once a year. We'll see. But uh, I enjoy coming on before the season. And yeah, I was actually at SEC Media Days last week in Birmingham and all hell broke loose. Now the Big 12's in flux. Oklahoma and Texas are going to greener pastures. And by greener, I mean more money. How will that impact the rest of the landscape? That's what we're going to find out. Hopefully I can shed some insight into that but as always great to join you guys and stucky i'm kind of disappointed i don't see the Na- army navy helmet behind you but oh wait my oh. <laughs> there you go there you go come on brett and i noticed that you got it in there the little i better be i hope i'm invited more than once so i'm gonna remember that to make sure we get you back on <laughs> okay. at least one more it. time so that next year you could say maybe you have me on more than twice but i guess most people have heard that you know texas and oklahoma I've requested to go to the SEC, and it's been in the works, blah, blah, blah. Number one, the timing of that, and I think it's 2025, 2026 season, is that essentially a done deal? Like, is there no going back on that? And then what do you what do you think, just in your personal opinion, from what you know, you have 
as many sources as anybody. What ends up happening to the rest of the Big 12, college football as a whole? So I know that's a loaded question, but, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a minute or two, where would you go with that? Yeah, so basically, Stucky, everything you've set, seen now says that this is going to happen after the 2024 season going into 2025 because that's when the grant of rights ends, okay? The SEC has to say that. Oklahoma and Texas have to stay, say that. However, hopefully you guys are fans of Warren Zevon because he sums it up perfectly. The SEC right now is saying, send your lawyer guns and money because that's what's going to happen now. The lawyers are going to get involved and they're going to do everything they can to get Oklahoma and Texas into the SEC in 2022. I think that will happen. If you go back and look at all the realignment over the past dozen years, whether it was the Big Ten, whether it was the SEC, whether it was the ACC, Big East, whatever it was, all these schools had contracts to get where they had to wait a few years. However, miraculously, they happened to get in the following year because they reached settlements. This one is a little bit different. The Big 12 could decide, you know what, we don't want the $80 million or whatever it is that you're going to pay to get out. We're going to force you to be in the conference for the next four years. Kind of like Seinfeld, when he returns the jacket and they ask him why and he goes for spite. Excuse me, I'd like to return this jacket. Certainly. May I ask why? For spite. And the Big 12 may go, you know what? We're going to make you stay in this conference for four more years for spite. And also because it'll keep the Big 12 around longer. Uh, you asked me about the future of the Big 12. Stucky, the Big 12, to use the cliche, does not control their own destiny, does not control their own fate. It depends on the Big 10, the ACC, and the Pac-12. And quite simply, if those conferences decide to expand and pick from the Big 12, the Big 12 implodes. Then we go from 10 FBS conferences to 9 FBS conferences. So you guys are doing one less conference preview next year. But that's to be seen. That's what all of these conferences are talking about right now. They're talking to their television consultants. I mean, if they haven't, they're going to reach out to ESPN. They're going to reach out to Fox. And they're going to say, look, we're at 12 teams now. We're at 14 teams now. If we had team A, B, C, and D or any combination of those teams, is that going to increase our value overall as a conference? That ultimately will determine the fate of the Big 12. But the unknown is, will the Big 12 – you know, cool down. Will they say, look, this is a lot of money. We're going to let them get out early. We're going to take this money. Or are they simply going to say, no, you're stuck with this for four more years? I mean, I live in the state of Oklahoma and we've got the president of Oklahoma State coming out and just throwing uh, the Sooners <laughs> under the bus. Like, I, I thought you were all about the state of Oklahoma. We're here to make everybody better in the state. And uh, it's really kind of just calling everything out here. And I think there's a number of teams that have a, a fallout from this, one of them being Texas A&M. So, I mean, Oklahoma State's one of them, Nebraska's one of them, but I'll start with Texas A&M. They are adamantly opposed. I, I completely understand why from a recruiting perspective, from a territorial perspective, uh, this manufactured uh, rivalry with LSU is probably going to turn into LSU in Texas. So where does Texas A&M ultimately fall? They're just going to fall in line the SEC and accept whatever happens and, and more money for everybody, but you're probably going to lose your recruits. Yeah, absolutely. Look, the, the, the vote, you know, and I don't, you know, the vote may have already occurred by the time you guys um, post this, but the vote will be 14-0. It'll be unanimous. Texas A&M will change their vote. You know, no, they publicly said they're against it. Look, it's going to be unanimous. 
I'm sure Sankey called up the Texas A&M president when they started speaking publicly about blocking Texas and said, do you realize what this means for our conference for the next 50 years? I mean, basically, this is a smart move by the SEC. Um, so Texas A&M, I guess they can they can take a little bit of pride in the fact that they can tell recruits, look, we were in the conference. Texas came crawling to us to get into the league, to play in our conference. Um, so that shows, you know, that we're, quote, better than Texas. The bottom line is they're going to start playing again. Whoever wins the games on the field will have the bragging rights. And real quickly, as, as far as um, Oklahoma and, and Texas, you guys know I'm an Oklahoma State grad. You know, this kills me what's going to happen to my alma mater. I have no idea what's going to happen to the Cowboys. But on the flip side, I don't blame Oklahoma and Texas. You know, the SEC smart enough to, to figure out what I thought would have happened a lot earlier than this, and I think a lot of people thought would happen also, and that is we're going to have these 16-team super, super conferences. So if we're going to go to 16 teams, do you want to be the first one to get to 16 and have your top two choices to get to 16, or do you want to sit there and wait for everyone else to make their moves, and then you're making your you're the last conference to 16, and then your options are not very good. So as much as I hate it for my alma mater, I under, totally understand why OU and Texas did it. Um, it makes a lot of sense, and it positions the SEC to be the dominant conference for the next 20 to 30 years unless their football product falls completely off a cliff, which I don't anticipate happening. I think what you're trying to say is that Frank Broyles in the early 90s had the vision before everybody else to leave the Southwest Conference, join the SEC, like triple the money, and geographically – it made no sense to the University of Arkansas to leave the Southwest Conference where they got to play Texas and Texas A&M and, and, you know, all of our alumni moved down to Dallas and this whole move to the SEC never made any sense, but it did from a financial perspective. And now a team like Oklahoma State, who isn't proactive in dictating their future, we don't know if they're going to end up anywhere. And, and I think that's the thing. Oklahoma State would want to probably stay in a power conference, but do we elevate the AAC or does Oklahoma State go down to a group of five? It's just unbelievable to think of. It's not their option. I mean, basically, um, if again, if, if other teams are taken from the Big 12 to go to the ACC, the Big 10, wherever, you know, Oklahoma State, you know, it, it's not. And I, I just want, I want to say one thing. It's not, it is, but it isn't Oklahoma State's fault for being proactive. I mean, you can be proactive. You could send the SEC flowers every week. They either want you or they don't. So Oklahoma and Texas are obviously a better product. Um, they, they, you know, they attract more TV eyeballs, which is most important. And so if all this fallout happens, you could have a you could have a school like Kansas State or Kansas that have nowhere to go. And they may have to go uh, suck up to the to the AAC. I mean, that's what's going to be fascinating to watch over the next coming weeks and months. Look, football runs the world, right? It, it, it is the, the breadwinner. But there are certain exceptions and a school like Kansas <laughs> might now be like, all right, we have a basketball. Our basketball team can actually get us into a conference. That might end up being what does. But, you know, from a betting perspective, you know, I've already placed a bet that would be impacted by this. Other people have as well. So, you know, based on just what you know right now, do you think, given the two scenarios that you offered up, Big 12 says we're going to play hostage here or – just everything in the back in the back office and back room gets done and these changes get made this year. Do you think ultimately, based on what you know now, make an educated guess, anything changes for this year? 
no, no, absolutely not. That's impossible. No way it won't happen. The earliest okay. it could happen is 2022. You know, ultimately, you know, it, they're going through a divorce and how yep. bitter is one spouse going to be? And are they going to, you know, put the screws to the, to the other party or not? That's what I think what'll play out in the coming months. I think this is really from a gambling perspective, it feels like it's a good news for an Iowa state team that is literally trying to contend to win this conference. It takes an X off their back. It puts an X on Texas's back and Steve Sarkeesian's first year, because they're the one that initiated this entire divorce from the conference in the first place. So you got to think that Texas is the one that's circled bigger than even Iowa state. Who's more of a threat to win this conference but Brett, I got to ask you about one team that has been quiet. They're not in the Big 12, but they always seem to chirp up about everything. And as you reported first, they tried to opt out of their Oklahoma game. What is Nebraska's feelings on all of this? I mean, former Big 8 member, former rival to Oklahoma. I figured the Cornhuskers would have some sort of say as they've not felt their fit in the Big 10 is exactly right. Has there been any word out of Nebraska about any of these things going on with OU and Texas going to SEC? Yeah, Colin. No, no, there hasn't. I mean, they've got their own issues. And like you said, they've, you know, they tried to get out of the OU game. That was orchestrated by Scott Frost. Obviously, I reported it and they kind of got shamed into into playing that game. You know, I've had people tell me that if I didn't report that, that they would have gone through with it and canceled the game. And it would have been so far along, there would have been nothing that uh, Oklahoma could have done to keep the game. That, I think that would have embarrassed him even more. So, yeah, I mean, Scott Frost, you know, he was the golden boy. Look, I think he did a tremendous job at UCF. Unbelievable job. And I don't know, maybe you guys have an idea. I don't know why in the world that hasn't translated to success at Nebraska. I mean, he follows up Mike Riley after Riley goes four and eight. And Frost has gone four and eight, five and seven, three and five. I mean, they even sniffed the winning season. Um, and, you know, who would have thought Scott Frost would be on the hot seat at Nebraska in year four? But that's exactly where he's at. So, Colin, the reason why they're not saying anything, because they want people to just forget about him until they can get to the fall, hopefully win some games. I know they're like, a, I don't know if you guys may have the number in front of you, 17, 20 point dog to the Sooners. So that game probably is not going to be pretty. You know, I saw a tweet earlier today. Uh, I forgot who sent it out. It was hysterical. They said. Uh, breaking news, uh, the Big 12 just moved the Nebraska OU game to 6 a.m. So, but basically, yeah, Nebraska figures, you know, they don't want any attention on them right now. They got their head down and hopefully they'll they'll turn it around this year. You know, projected Oklahoma, Nebraska going to Oklahoma, I have it at about 15 and a half, maybe 16. So that's going to be tough sledding. And we're going to call that the Brett McMurphy bowl because you're the one that forced this game to be played. And I think OU is just going to lay into them for trying to get out of this game. <laughs> it's going to be a Lincoln Riley uh, bet exclusive here. I, there's no way I'm not betting the Sooners that week. Yeah. Nebraska wishes that game was uh, what on every once in a while, those Oklahoma games are on like pay-per-view on, on those channels when they play like Tulane, but unfortunately that's not going to happen. But Brett, every, every year when we do have you on, I do have to ask you about um, your alma mater. And just, so just in a vacuum, you know, take away all everything that's going on with the Big 12. Just where do you, you know, like talk about what your thoughts on the state of the program, where you thought it would be compared to where it is, any, you know, expectations for this year, ceiling, floor, uh, just your overall thoughts on, on Gundy and, the, and where the program stands right now. I, I guess I've got kind of a different view of some people with Oklahoma State ties, because I remember, you know, back, 
long, long time ago when basically the stadium was a rector, an erector set. We lost, you know, 15 consecutive years, whatever it was, to Oklahoma. Uh, we weren't competitive. We weren't nationally ranked. Um, we got a little bump when Barry Sanders was there. And then after that, you know, we went back to being irrelevant. And then Les Miles comes in, uh, goes two and two head to head against Oklahoma, which was unheard of. And then Gundy takes over. And Gundy has had some tremendous seasons. He's got one Big 12 title. But even Boone Pickens, you know, the late Boone Pickens, who they named the stadium after, he was frustrated that Oklahoma State didn't win more, didn't win more Big 12 titles. I I understand that feeling, but you know, sometimes, you know, maybe you can only reach a certain level. I don't know if they've plateaued under Gundy. I don't think that. I think this year they've got a chance to be really, really good. Um, you know, as far as returning starters, they don't have as many as probably a lot of people, but you can, you have to have a quarterback. And as you guys know, Spencer Sanders is one of the best out there. They'll have plenty of skill guys. Gundy always has that. Um, you know, it's kind of, you know, I don't think you can call Oklahoma State a disappointment. I think they've done very well. I mean, heck, until until last year, um, they owned Texas. They they had a better record against Texas than Oklahoma has. I think Oklahoma State had won the last three or four trips to Austin. Nobody had ever done that in the history of, of uh, Texas football. Um, you know, Gundy's had the three 10-win seasons in a row. Uh the last three years, though, he hasn't he hasn't won more than eight games. So is that a dip or is that just a fluke? Uh, you know, I don't know, Stucky. It's like you mix mixed emotions because once you get to that level where you're you win the Big 12 title and look, if there would have been a 14 playoff instead of the two team playoff that year, Oklahoma State would have been in um, along with Alabama and L- LSU. I don't know who the 14 would have been, maybe Stanford. Uh, but they only had a two-team playoff. So we haven't got to the playoff. We haven't won it, a national title under Gundy. We've only won one Big 12 championship. So it's kind of like we're going to do very good, but we can't lose to teams we're not supposed to lose to. And then, oh, by the way, we can't give up 50 points every time we play Oklahoma. Yep. Yeah, no, it's it's not an easy answer. It's Because I get what you're saying. The fact that people have had that conversation over the past couple of years speaks to the amount of success that Gundy had uh, in Stillwater. And yeah, it's, I think the next couple of years will be big for how people view that. Now that could all change with the big 12 being different, but um, yeah, as, as always appreciate your thoughts there. Colin, what else you got for Brett? No, I think Brett's probably happy that Bedlam got moved back to Thanksgiving weekend. I don't know what it was. I know with the scheduling conflicts, they didn't want them to face each other two times in a row. But Brett, I mean, the decision to go back, it just quietly kind of went back to Thanksgiving weekend. Could be a nice little send off for the Pokes there to get excited for the Sooners. Oh, that that place is going to be crazy. I don't care. <laughs> you talked about and you, you were talking about earlier about from a <clears throat> from a betting standpoint, I, you know, I wouldn't blindly take Oklahoma and Texas under, but I would strongly look at it because you got to look at the, the road games they've got because they are going to be going into some hostile environments and you're going to have some people really, really upset. Will that translate on the field? You know, I don't know. Maybe OU is just good enough to go ahead and win. You mentioned Iowa State could challenge. But, you know, I, you know, I don't you've got the win totals in front of you. I don't know if it's an automatic underplay. But certainly I'm not playing over on anything Oklahoma and Texas as far as win totals. 
because of all, everything that's going to be swirling around these teams. And certainly you can already predict the, their opponents, the pep talks they have, you know, before the game in the locker room, whenever they play the Sooners and the Longhorns. Kyle and I, we're, we're going to, after this, we're going to debate Oklahoma, Iowa State. I'm on the Iowa State side of that debate for this, for this podcast. And I, I had this thought when this all came out, I said, well, Big 12 championship game, say it's Iowa State, Oklahoma. Uh, I wouldn't mind or, or be surprised or a couple <laughs> PI calls to uh, yeah. start that game off. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't disagree with that take. Stucky, you're dead on. I mean, I, we're laughing about it, but you are absolutely 100% dead on on that. You know, it's human nature and it could happen, especially if this is their last year. If we get yep. into the season and they reach the agreement that this is the last year, so it's like the old uh, Lakers-Celtics series. You knew it was going to go seven games no matter who was winning. CBS would make sure that the refs tilted it that way. I agree with your sentiment about taking an under, especially in Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. This is not Baker Mayfield versus Mason Rudolph anymore. I mean, these are two teams that are fielding the two of the best defenses, not just in this conference, but nationally. Top 25 in success rate. Uh, the Big 12 – which I feel like has led the SEC, like the offensive templates that the Big 12 will put down, the SEC has adopted. Now some Big 12 teams are playing some defense, which is going to be an amazing thing to talk about here on this podcast. Uh, Brett, before we let you go, you always do a great piece on bowl predictions. So I can't let you go unless we mention about the now-sponsored Barstool Arizona Bowl between the MAC and the Mountain West. Do you have a prediction for the Mountain West and MAC team that will be in that bowl? Sources have told me that Big Cat's going to try to invite – has already invited Wisconsin. The Badgers are, are mulling that over. But, unfortunately, I, you know, the, the bowl tie-ins have kind of been mixed up, and obviously with COVID last year. To be honest, I, I'm not sure. I think it's a Mac Mountain West Mountain game. West. Here's one trick for you youngsters out there that want to do bowl projections. Look at the bowl and see what teams haven't been to the bowl in a long time. So, based on that expert – uh, analysis, I'm going to go with the Aztecs of San Diego State from the Mountain West playing the fighting Jim McElwain's from Central Michigan. As part of the contract with the Barstool Sports Arizona Bowl, uh, both teams are only allowed to play eight players on defense, and the over-under per Big Cat has already been set as 100. That's for the first half. Take the over. One other little tidbit, I have never had a wrong projection for the Barstool Arizona Bowl in my career. So keep that keep that in mind when you're looking at this game. Those two teams actually played in the New Mexico Bowl two years ago. Um, there you go. There you go. Um, did you, did so you know there's that? already a rivalry. Did you just hear Brett's coming on our podcast and telling me to take San Diego State overs? I can't get away from it. <laughs> um, all right, good stuff as always. We will, on my word, I will make sure that by the end of the year – we will have you on again. And as always, if you aren't already, make sure you follow Brett on Twitter at Brett2Ts underscore McMurphy. Follow him for all of this news and then all of college football news and and uh, even Barstool Bowl projections when the time <laughs> comes. Hey, one, one thing real quick. I kind of buried the lead. So last week I, I put out Collins' projected standings in the sec if oklahoma and texas would have joined the league and it was one of my most retweeted and commented post of the week but more impressively texas head coach steve sarkeesian is now following colin on twitter i we saw so I, I saw that i wanted to drop that uh 
you know, I buried the lead. That should have been the, that should have been the lead to the whole podcast. I can't even begin to tell you how pro Steve Sarkeesian this podcast is going to be. I was going to say, I'm about to see how biased we're going to get on Texas now. Texas fans used to hate Con. They're about to start loving him now. The prairie skies are wide and high, deep in the heart of Texas. All right. Thanks as always, Brad. We'll talk soon. You got it, guys. Thank you. This is Action Network podcast producer Matt Mitchell here to tell you our friends at BetMGM have a great new sign-up offer for our listeners, a $600 risk-free first bet. Here's how it works. If you don't already have an account at BetMGM, just sign up, make your first deposit, and place that initial wager. If the bet wins, you get all the money. If it doesn't win, BetMGM will refund you in free bets up to $600. It's that simple. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. BetMGM has been a great podcast partner, and they've got all the features gamblers like us love, like live betting and daily odds boosts. Plus, they're compatible with BetSync, so when you place a wager at BetMGM, that bet can automatically be tracked in your action app. So open an account today and make your first bet risk-free up to $600. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Michigan, New Jersey, Colorado, Indiana, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia, Tennessee, Nevada, or Pennsylvania. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Or 1-88-532-3500 in Virginia. BetSync not available in Nevada. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. Thanks again to Brett. Okay, so this is just kind of administrative things, but it's it's going to take some action from you. Might I think most of you will actually like the change. In early August, there's going to be several new podcasts debuting here at Action Network. We'll have an NBA betting podcast, one for golf, one for fantasy football with Raybon and, and Kerner. And we'll also have one just dedicated for college football and basketball betting. So if you'd like to listen to us, all you have to do is just subscribe to that. We're basically just going to have separate channels. And then that way, you know, if you don't like golf betting or fantasy, like just all your college football and college basketball episodes are going to be on that channel. You know, we'll have an NFL one. So if you want to hear the two of us talking college football this season, essentially, you'll just need to subscribe to a new podcast. We'll have all the details when that happens. It'll happen sometime in August. But the best part is we have our own podcast channel now. We'll be able to release way more college pods every week and just do additional content. And uh, a lot of you have been asking about it for a while. So stay tuned. The Generation Get Gone. A college-specific channel for our podcast is going to be fantastic. It's going to be continue to be you and me doing our weekly previews, continue to be our weekend recap. There's going to be maybe some stuff that I'll go out there and just start rambling for 30 minutes, maybe stuff comes and rambles with me for 30 minutes, as much as we can shove into the college feed we're going to do. And when the time is ready, we'll tell everybody to switch over. All right, Colin, so let's start at the top of the conversation. So when I when I look at the Big 12, you know, this year, I, I look at it as, I guess, you know, four clear tiers of teams you have Oklahoma and Iowa State are clearly the elite of the conference and then there's you know TCU Oklahoma State Texas we're gonna be around that seven eight win total mark West Virginia kind of you could argue there or the next tier with Kansas State Baylor Texas Tech the interesting part with your you know West Virginia's your Kansas State's your Baylor's your Texas Tech is year two or year three of some coaches there so if you know Maybe one of those teams you might think is a sleeper that's going to take a jump in year three or year two of a coach once you have those schemes implemented, you know, knowing that there was a COVID year in between. And then obviously at the very bottom of the conference is Kansas. 
sitting in the basement. So let's start at that top tier. We'll start with Oklahoma. They're going for their seventh straight Big 12 title, and they did so last year despite starting 0-2 in the conference for the first time in 22 years, but they still found a way to get it. Uh, I mean, look, there's not much you could say about Oklahoma. They're loaded. Uh, they bring back 19 starters. You have the Heisman front runner and Spencer Rattler back at quarterback. Lincoln Riley has a top 10 recruiting class coming in. They did lose a couple of pros, but they have some 2020 opt-outs coming back in. They have some Tennessee transfers uh, at running back, safety, offensive line that should be plugged into starting positions. So this team is absolutely loaded. Over under at BetMGM, the official odds provider of the Action Network podcast, 11. Over 11, juiced a bit, minus 120. What do you see with Oklahoma? Where do you project? And uh, we'll start there. Yeah, I mean, Lincoln, Lincoln Riley's been in Norman since 2015, and this is his best chance at winning a national championship. Riley's been to three college football playoffs as a head coach. He's lost all three. And now, finally, Oklahoma is loaded on both sides of the ball. The offense, they're always loaded. And I would argue the reason that they lost two games early, the first two conference games, was because Spencer Rattler was the first quarterback to take the field for OU. So, I mean, I, I, it's completely understandable that the, oh, that the Sooners dropped two games to start off conference play last year because when's the last time that they fielded a quarterback that had no experience whatsoever? Spencer Rattler got better as the year went on. The biggest knock on him was, you know, pressure in the pocket. His adjusted completion percentage was way down compared to what it was towards the end of the season. And this was the hottest team in the country after dropping two of their first three. So, you know, it, it, listen, the glaring mark from last season, I could go on and on about their success rate on both sides of the ball. They're finishing drives on both sides of the ball. It's top notch. It was 83rd and Havoc allowed that was the big problem. It was the offensive line not protecting Rattler, Rattler making bad decisions. That all kind of fixed itself towards the end of the season. And it should be interesting to see how he comes out this year. His adjusted completion percentage was huge, 81% when kept clean. And I expect that to be the case here from day one. They're loaded in the trench, both sides of the ball. His Even though that we've had some changeover in the skill positions, he still has some of the best in the nation. And it's amazing how the portal, the transfer portal, is being used by Oklahoma to build depth, not to go out and find starters or go out and find someone on the offensive line. It's being used to build depth at running back with Eric Gray, with Mike Woods at wide receiver. Like, it's not to fill holes in the starting unit. So, you know, Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley has taken huge advantage of that. Uh, you know, I think one thing about the defense that we have to talk about is this is probably the best defense that Oklahoma will ever field in a long, long history. You and I joked about the OU defense in the Rose Bowl against Georgia basically being statues, uh, being lawn chairs, not moving around. Now we got Nick Benito. Uh, we've got tons of players returning to this defense that are havoc-minded, top 25 in defensive havoc. Uh, they're going to turn you over. They're going to sack you. Alex Grinch in year three is going to pay dividends this year. They are national title contenders because of defensive coordinator Alex Grinch and not because of Spencer Rattler in the offense, which is what most people want to focus on. So it's a win total I have at 10.1, which means if you had to make a bet on the win total, I would take the under. But that's really, you know, just probabilities of games being added up. I would say there's a higher probability of them winning 10 games versus them winning 12. I think 11, the only way you can play is the under. But at the same time, I don't see who's beating them. I mean, Oklahoma reminds me of Clemson. There's always one conference game, whether it's Kansas State. Uh, there's always somebody on the conference slate that gives them a problem because they just didn't show up. And I'm not sure if the talk of Oklahoma going to the SEC is going to have them on point every single game. Alabama was on a mission last year. As Oklahoma 
as their swan song to the Big 12 show up every single weekend? That's the question with the win total. I'm passing on their win total. Uh, I have bigger plans for Oklahoma futures. Yeah, I think the I think the win totals uh, a bit high, but I don't I don't want any part uh, of the under. You know, if you look at their road games, it's Tulane, Kansas State, Kansas, Baylor, and Oklahoma State. So mm-hmm. you know they get Texas and Dallas. Semi tough finish. You know they're at Baylor, then Iowa State, then at Oklahoma State. I mean, but that's their toughest stretch of the year. So yeah, if I had to guess, they'd probably end up going eleven and one. Can they finally beat Kansas State? They seem to always drop that. But yeah, I mean the defense is the defense is loaded. Yeah, the only questions I really have for them is in the secondary, but that's down the line. You know, if they were to face an elite passing attack in the college football playoff, you know, they did lose some corners, but I mean, they have talent back there, but, and they were a top 10 pass defense last year, but I have some questions about if they were to go up against uh, an elite passing attack. We didn't get to see that against Florida. Cause I mean, Florida's basically their whole offense was out the offensive line. Yeah, you know, you do lose Creed Humphrey was an All-American center. So I want to see how that position is plugged with maybe a freshman and some of those losing pieces. But, yeah, what really would hold, held them back last year was Spencer Rattler making just really a, a few, just a few. I mean, they were close games and lost questionable throws late that cost him. And then towards the end of the year, he wasn't making those same throws. So you would assume, you know, with a, a year of starting experience now, He's going to be even better. And whenever Lincoln Riley has had an experienced quarterback during his time in Norman, he's gone to the college football playoff. All right. So, yeah, I think win total's right. We'll get to futures later on. Uh, and then we have Iowa State. Their win total over nine and a half, minus 110. I already mentioned that they're going to go to Oklahoma, which is obviously a big difference in, in the two schedules. But it's, there's no divisions here. It's just the top two teams. So even if they lose that game, you know, and they take care of business against Oklahoma State, Texas and TCU who they host so if they take care of those three teams at home they're gonna have a really good shot of getting a rematch with Oklahoma whether or not they win or lose that game the questions with Iowa State look it's Matt Campbell it's his 10th year I believe in Ames this team brings back 19 starters it's Brock Purdy you know one of the best running backs in the country in in Brees Hall they have probably the best tight end room in Kohler and Allen in all of college football their offensive line is loaded they bring back everyone on the offensive line, and they have depth now. And last year, the offensive line was good, but you know they lost Downing, who comes back now healthy. He's an NFL talent at guard. Oh, you know, there's the receivers aren't spectacular, but I think it'll be a better receiving room than it was last year. So as long as you know Hall and Purdy stay healthy, offense is going to be great. We know about the defense. The defense in that three-three-five, it brings back. I mean, almost everybody. And, you know, at all three levels, you have NFL caliber players starting at Anthony Johnson at corner. You know, you have Will McDonald, Levin Nation, and Saxon go on and on about Eisworth and Mike Rose. It's, it's his defense is just loaded in its experience. This team has an identity. They're very well coached. Uh, and I think they're going to be as deep as they've been in years. The questions here with them are, can they get off to a fast start and go undefeated in September before Brocktober happens? There he goes. And then can they take care of business? I'm assuming they lose at Oklahoma. Could they win that game? Sure. Uh, But I'm assuming they lose that game. So can they just take care of business against Texas, you know, TCU and Oklahoma State? Assuming they do that at home, they're probably going to go to the Big 12 title as long as they don't drop some other games. But, uh, yeah, this team's loaded. It's a, In my opinion, it's a top six team in the country. What are your thoughts on the Cyclones? 
Yeah, from Iowa State, every coach, every player from 2020 is locked in for this 2021 Big 12 championship run. The real question is if the Cyclones have officially hit their ceiling as the number two program in the Big 12. I mean, nine wins, it's only the third time in their program history that they've done that. We can go over all the stats, but I mean, they're top 25 in all of our favorite categories from success rate to finishing drives on both sides of the ball. But does this team have the talent to knock off Oklahoma? If not twice, then just once in Arlington. Iowa State has not finished above sixth in Big 12 recruiting since 2016. For comparison's sake, since 2016, Iowa State, the number of four and five-star recruits they have is three. Oklahoma, in that same time span since 2016, has had 84 recruits that are four-star or five-star. So that said, Iowa State had every chance to win the Big 12 last year. They had more total yards. Uh, They held OU to just one of 11 on third downs. They had a sack, two tackles for loss, five passes defensed, four hurries of Spencer Rattler. I mean, there was three turnovers, but it resulted in no points for the Sooners. I mean, Matt Campbell, they had it all right there in that Big 12 championship game. They just got down 24 to 7 early, and, and Oklahoma went into cruise control. To me, that feels like the ceiling of this program for this season, especially when I think Oklahoma has improved versus the version that they had last year. Uh, for them to win this conference, I would need a fat number to take Iowa State. Uh, the plus 250 doesn't work for me. I'd need more like plus 450 to, to take Iowa State here. There's no value in the conference odds or the win total for me. I project them at 9.6. The market is at 9.5. I mean, you have to ask yourself, can Matt Campbell beat Iowa? Is there another Drake game where they win by three? Is there another Northern Iowa game where they go to three overtimes? Is there a Louisiana loss type game on this schedule? And I think that's, if you're betting these numbers, I have no problem with, with Stucky betting a 40 to one. There's 25 to ones out there for the national title for Iowa State. In my opinion, that has no value. 40 to one is where it starts with Iowa State. And if they lose to Iowa, by the way, in week two, I still, I mean, there's an argument to be made that if they fall to 60 or 80 to one, the national championship is still in front of them. They just have to win out. So, you know, I'm not going to take anything away from what happens in September. They can still sweep the schedule and win the national title. Uh, And maybe this is just something we have to accept with Matt Campbell. Uh, you know, with Tom Herman, we had to accept his ways of coaching Texas, uh, highly emotional. We'll get to that. Right. But uh, with Matt Campbell, maybe we just have to accept that there is going to be a game where you lose where you shouldn't have in September. But I keep going back to the recruiting three, four and five star recruits. That's it. And Oklahoma's had 84 since 2016. It just makes it seem like it's impossible for Iowa State to overcome this mountain. Yeah, the I mean, this is the this is the year for Iowa State, and I think that especially with all this Big Twelve, everything that's going down in the Big Twelve, and you mentioned their recruiting classes, how they've been they're not an elite recruit, recruiting school. That this this team is just with all their super seniors and you know Purdy coming back and Hall, like this is it for Iowa State, right? Like this is the year if they're going to do something it's this year, and then I think assuming it like. Next year, they're, I don't know where they're going to be, but they're not going to be in the discussion for um, even an outside shot at winning, getting to the college football playoff. The other part of that is I think that there's questions with Alabama, with Clemson, their quarterback depth, with Ohio State, like if they get to the college football. I don't think it's like last year where I'm like, I don't want to touch anybody because it's Alabama. Like I think that at the top, it's not as elite as it's been in years past. And this is the peak of Iowa state. So I completely agree with you. Um, one thing I'll mention with Iowa state. Yeah. I mean, they have to beat Iowa. Um, 
can they, they've lost five in a row. I mean, they've, they've all been close and they've been right there. And that's, so it's Iowa and then their, their September woes. Um, can they, can they get over that? I mean, their road games this year, are UNLV, Baylor, Kansas State, West Virginia, Texas Tech, and Oklahoma. So there's some tricky ones in there that they could drop one or two. I have, I mean, I'm a little higher on Iowa State than I think you and others. So I, I've, I mean, I have their win total, their projected wins is right around 10. So like, I think there's a tiny bit of value, but it's not like I'm rushing to bet over nine and a half minus 110 if I make it around 10, especially because I took the shot on the national title. I did bet them when they were minus 110 to get to the um, Big 12 title game, which leads us into – and by the way, one thing I will mention on – I would say their, their special teams were bad last year. Now, they had a kicker turn. It was really good. They lost to the NFL. But their touchback percentage was awful. Remember the name Mevis? He's, and he's one of my favorite kickers. I said he's the next Justin Tucker, the kid from Missouri, who I love. Well, his brother – is transferring from Fordham. So you're going to have two Mevises kicking in Power 5 schools. But he has a big leg and hopefully can address some of those touchback and kick return coverage issues because that's basically how they lost that game to Louisiana last year. Um, but I had to get a, a shout-out for Mevis in our, my first uh, my first um, special teams nugget of many. Oh, that was smooth. That leads us into TCU next. Maybe it's a – Look, in the past, has been a sore subject between us because you went yeah. to TCU and I had Ohio State, and Ohio State luckily got into the college football playoff and ended up winning it. But you're, I think you're, you know, we talked about this on our first podcast. You're going to make a case for TCU getting to the Big 12 title game. Where, and I don't hate that, and I don't hate your number. And a lot of times, what we're doing is just trying to find value in the number. I, the way that I just see this playing out is that Iowa State with a million seniors post TCU at the end of the year. And I'm high on TCU. And I think that's the difference. And that's, they basically are playing to see who goes to the, the big 12 title game, but let's, let's talk to TCU here. Um, over under at Bet MGM seven and a half over seven and a half minus minus one fifteen. Gary Patterson year 22. And he's been there forever. Um, 18 and 17 the past three years. So it's been, he's been middling the past few years, but they finished really strong last year, finished five and one. The you know you have Max Duggan coming back for his junior year. Their running back room is is pretty loaded with Zach Evans and company. They get their top three receivers back. Um, you know their O line. There's some questions there, but there, there's some experience as well. Their defense is generally going to be good under Patterson. They do have to replace up the middle is where the questions are. So they lose. You know, uh, while they're their great middle linebacker went to the NFL and then they're two safeties. They're two stud safeties. Um, one was the second overall safety taken in the draft. So they got to replace Morgan Washington at safety. So there's some questions on the defense. They do bring in a couple Memphis transfers who should help TJ Carter at safety and then a tackle who had started for two years at Memphis. who I think will help on the offensive line. So this team has a lot. They have a lot. I love their defensive line this year which is really experienced. And I think Duggan will take that next step. It's a team that brings back, you know, including kicker and punter. It's a, you're right around 19, 20 starters. Um, so, I, look, TCU is going to be a player in the Big 12 this year. I know you're high on the Horned Frogs. Uh, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, I, I love – I'm going to start calling him Hacksaw Max Duggan because I always think of the wrestler Jim Duggan with the hoe and the two-by-four. But, uh, you know, I, 2020 was filled with plenty of hurdles, and it starts with Max Duggan. He had the unexpected surgery, the non-COVID-related heart condition uh, that was announced before, you know, the pandemic really pushed Big 12 play off for a few weeks. 
uh, all the hurdles were on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, you know, once the rust came off of Max Duggan, we started to see the brilliance of what he is, but he was escaping, uh, you know, some problems with the offensive line and assignments. I mean, 22 scrambles last year for 167 yards. That displays a that max duggan can escape anybody but b that the offensive line was a huge issue 482 yards on designed runs and you know what he does with these designed runs is he's opening up holes for targets like quentin johnson tay barber these are very skilled wide receiver positions that i think max duggan is going to be able to find easily because of what he can do out in space now it's important to know that sonny cumby is no longer the offensive coordinator at tcu he has moved on to texas tech kind of a going back home sort of thing for him after being at TCU for a really long time. Doug Meacham moves over from wide receiver, tight end coach to offensive coordinator. But the name that you should be listening to, Kenny Hill, has been elevated from offensive analyst to quarterback coach. Patterson has said the transition from Cumbie to Hill to work with Duggan has just been seamless. So everything that we loved about Kenny Hill, uh, the explosiveness and some of some of the flashes of brilliance, Hopefully Max Duggan gets all of that and none of the Kenny Hill turnovers that you and I are used to from the past. Uh, if the offensive line can upgrade through a few players that they got in the transfer portal, then the, and Patterson did, he went out and seek some players to build some depth there. The success rate and the continued explosive plays will climb. The defensive players that led the nation in tackles for loss, Kari Coleman, O'Shawn Mathis from the edge positions and Terrell Cooper and George Ellis from, in, from, from the inside even a transfer from UCF, uh, Kenny Turnier, he's been able to get into opponent's yep. backfield. They're all back. The, the 4-2-5 is loaded. The edge positions are loaded. The secondary is going to be just fine. The linebacker position is fine. Uh, you know, both safeties are gone, so there's a little bit of vulnerability between the hashes deep. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to be able to find people to replace some of that production that they had. Win total is at 7.5. I project TCU at 8.1. So this is an overplay for me. It's a solid contender, in my opinion. I think they can do better than just eight wins. I think they're a solid contender to make the Big 12 championship game. So besides the over, I would go out and seek a Big 12 championship game appearance down to the number of four to one. And I keep preaching that because I know that there's eight to ones out there. And I've seen some plus 650s out there. And I would assume that that's probably going to get hit on a little bit. So I would take it all the way down to four to one. Uh, and I really think this is an easy hedge because if you look at the TCU schedule, as with any win total, you need something to line up at the end where you can get out of it. And right here we have TCU ending the season against Iowa state and Iowa state team that's coming off their game at, uh, against Oklahoma. So we don't know what the state of Iowa state is going to be at that time. TCU gets them in a prime spot and what I think could be, a play-in game to the Big 12 championship. Uh, if Iowa State's not up to the task to bring it two weeks in a row, TCU could cash this championship game appearance. Uh, I really think they're a really strong contender to do some damage here. Um, you know, if you want to get some math behind that, uh, you know, four to one is the last buy point for the Big 12 championship. They're 14 to one, 14 to one odds to win the Big 12. But what you do is you take that four to one and you would take a time to plus 200 in the Big 12 championship game. So I think their odds of winning the championship at 14 to one are correct. I would opt to find the Big 12 title appearance at four to one or better. Yeah, I mean, you also have, what, Bethley's coming back healthy on the defensive line. And yeah, last year, a lot of their problems on offense started with the offensive line. Going into last year, they lost all five offensive line starters. Yeah. And then they had injuries. And then there was COVID. They had five different guys start at right guard. That's just hard to build any continuity. 
So they did lose, you know, they lost their left tackle store, but yeah, you're right. They brought in easy from Memphis. They get West Harris, West Harris, their left guard back from injury. And now they have over 75 career starts coming back on the offensive line. It's a little more continuity. They obviously have an off season uh, and a spring to kind of build some of that with Duggan in his junior year. So um, I agree. And yeah, the, the secondary, you have Hodges Tomlinson is an all American corner. They find their safeties to plug in TJ Carter of Memphis and a few other guys. The defense is going to be fine under Patterson as he usually is. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of reasons for optimism uh, in Fort Worth. That was good. Let's move on to one of the other teams in that tier two, and we'll talk Texas. It's the Steve Sarkeesian era begins over under eight, over eight minus 110 at MGM. Not a ton of returning starters, but there's obviously some talent here at Texas, and there's some talent that has left. But one of the big questions, how much can Sarkeesian do to the culture? And I think that's been one of the problems of Texas in the past few years, and it's why we've seen talent leave there and just some of the issues that they've had on and off the field. How much can he do for that? He's going to call plays as well. You know, I think that their own going to be a lot different. So it's the first year of an, uh, a, a new Offense. I think it's going to be a you know an RPO power running game focused to start, and then a complex passing attack, which we know that Stark Stark likes to to run. And I think there's going to be more motion. There's going to be different offensive line splits. There's a lot of changes here. They do have Bijan Robinson. I think is going to be featured in that offense and should put up huge numbers. He averaged over eight yards a carry last year, and. You know, not only do they have all that change, they have to find a quarterback. So it comes down to Casey Thompson, who we saw throw four touchdowns in the bowl against Colorado, or Hudson Card, who I think are going to be in a competition through the fall. Um, and, you know, they bring in on the defensive side someone that you're going to wax poetic about, and Pete Kwiatkowski uh, as their new defensive coordinator. Again, changes on the defensive side. It's going to be a more of an attacking, blitzing style. Uh, and and there's some there's some talent there. Um, so, but there's a lot of coaching staff changes. They got to find a new quarterback. So a lot of questions in Texas. They were one thing that Sam Ellinger, who was a winner and didn't do is he didn't turn the ball over last year, plus 10 turnover margin last year. Can they repeat some of that? I, I'm not sure, but what are your uh, early thoughts on Texas who away games are Arkansas, TCU, Baylor, Iowa state, West Virginia, and OU in Dallas. Not easy. What are your thoughts there? No, not an easy schedule at all. And I think the one thing that we need to get out in the discussion first is when you listen to our college football podcast, we try to be as scientific and mathematical and try to bring a perspective that at least has some credibility to what we're trying to tell you, not just, oh, I feel this or, oh, I think this. Something we can't measure is what Sark has to do from day one, which is establish a new locker room culture, just a new culture all over campus, the way that we set expectations for the boosters, the way that we bring players in from recruiting, the way that we have player development. There have been plenty of recruits leave the state of Texas and shung the Longhorns because the player development was not up to speed. They didn't feel like the Texas Longhorn program was going to get them ready for the NFL. And I think that translates into what Tom Herman, every single year, Texas would enter week one with injuries. Why? Because Tom Herman was beating the shit out of them in two-a-days practices. We are not in a point in our program where we can not play our best and expect to win. Um, it's, it's not going to happen. You know, when you do that uh, week after week after week, or maybe it's in October and you're still making them go full pads on a Thursday and Friday, you're going to have all these injuries and it's going to show on the field. So you can't 
you know, beat your team up for a week of practice and then go up to Kansas and almost get beaten. You wonder why it's because you beat your team up all week in practice. So, you know, and Tom Herman, just the whole hoopla, we're underdogs and they, you know, always get a win as an underdog and, or, Hey, we're favored and we don't care about this game and you almost always lose it. That's out the door. Now we get a stable Sark. And the one thing I do know that guy was 56% against the spread in his time as a head coach at USC in Washington. If you want to throw his in his time as the offensive coordinator at Alabama, he is one of the most winningest coaches against the mark. If you throw in Alabama's numbers in his time there, than anybody in the coaching ranks. So this is somebody, Steve Sarkeesian is a coach that we can throw our wallet behind and we can trust. Now the question is, is this going to translate day one? We're getting 53% of our offense back. But then I go and I watch the Alamo Bowl and I think, holy God, Casey Thompson is a mini Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Why am I not betting this kid for the Heisman? Well, I mean, there's only 20 dropbacks, right? I mean, I can't base a Heisman bet on 20 dropbacks. So that's going to be tough. So let's talk about the things. And he might not start. He might not, he might not win the job. And he might not start. It could be Hudson Carr, but man, you watch that Alamo bowl. And I know it's against Colorado, but good Lord, you look at the talent Tom Herman had is at his disposal and, and you can never do any better with this team. Uh, I think Sark is going to have the ability to what I called sitting on a powder keg and going to be able to light the fuse and show these guys his talent, what they have. So the transition from Sark, to go from analyst offensive coordinator uh, for Lane Kiffin's departure was absolutely flawless at Alabama. We may never see anything in college football quite like the 2020 Alabama offensive attack. More importantly, Sark adopted more and more tight end concepts and he found plenty of ways to get the balls in the hands of his best players. Devonta Smith, whether, you know, we had to do some motion, we we found ways to get the ball in the right people's hands at the right time in the right spot in the field. Kyle Flood coming over with Sark from Tuscaloosa is extremely notable. Flood has a history of getting the most out of his offensive lines. He comes into a unit that, and you mentioned it, there wasn't a lot of turnovers and Ellinger did a great job of ball protection. They were 22nd in Havoc allowed last year, the Longhorns were, and Flood should continue that kind of protection. So at least Casey Thompson or, or Card, uh, you know, if the, they make mistakes, it shouldn't be because of pressure. Uh, we'll see who wins that battle inside of camp. There's no worries for the quarterback here for the Longhorns. Uh, you know, three of the top five targets return. Tight end Cade Brewer is expected to be a big weapon in this offense, considering what Sark did at Alabama. Beyond Robinson, you, you can't give this guy enough compliments. He was completely underutilized by Tom Herman. Uh, I, I was just staring at a box score. We had 10 carries for 183 yards. He's just a huge weapon in this offense. And then journeyman, position journeyman Roshan Johnson backing him up. We say that because I think he was linebacker for a little while before he flipped back over to the offensive side. But let's just say Texas on offense is – they're, I mean, they're not Oklahoma loaded, but they have a lot of talent and uh, they're, you know, they're deep, even with 53% returning. There's no questions in my mind that Pete Kudakowski taking over DC, that they will be prepared for these air raid RPO offenses, kind of like what Washington and Boise saw all the time. They were always prepared for these. Uh, the biggest issue is replacing the havoc with Joseph Asai not there anymore. Uh, the depth in the front seven goes too deep. There's five starters come back from the Alamo Bowl in the secondary alone. Uh, this team is a, is a Big 12 championship contender if Sark is able to mix clock control with explosiveness, similar to what he did at Alabama. Now, Kwiatkowski is able to maintain the havoc and success rate without Joseph Asai. It's really not huge asks of these two coaches considering the talent they have. So I think the floor is what their win total is. Uh, my win total makes it 7.7. They're at eight. I actually think that's their floor. I don't know if they're going to be able to tap in now that they have a, a huge mark on their back. Texas is leaving the conference. This can be the final year. You're going to get everybody's best game. Doesn't matter what week it is. And this schedule, you mentioned it. 
is brutal. So I'm not taking the over eight, but I do think that 7.7 is their floor. And that's an amazing thing to say about Texas football. So no value in the conference, no value in the win total. But I will say this. We said in the last podcast, I'll say it again. That number opened at 16 and a half against Louisiana for week one. It's all the way down to nine and a half. I'm willing to sit here for the next couple of weeks and let that number continue to drop. I will happily let everybody else take Louisiana and their Billy Napiers. If that thing gets down to a touch, you can count me all in on Texas, taking the Texas Longhorns in week one. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, it's pretty shocking to think that Texas, you know, they, under Strong and Herman, they are tw- only 26 and 15 at home during their tenures. That's, I mean, that's, re- that's pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I, I like, I like their, for, for where you think Texas should be. I like their defense. I mean, I think Krakowski has a lot of pieces to work with. I, I mean, you have, Linebacker is a bit of a question. You have Overshone there, but Mitchell transferred. But, I, I mean, the defensive line, even though they lost Osai, you have Collins and Coburn and Sweat. And then you bring in some transfers who you're hoping, like, you know, Power 5 transfers, Thornton at LSU, Notre Dame transfer, that you're going to hope they can duplicate or at least help fill the void that Osai left as, as far as getting pressure. You know, you have talented corners. You did lose, you know, some town the second. But you have really talented corners. So there's a lot to work with with Kwiatkowski. The offensive line, I agree. I, I think that flood, it, it can only help the offensive line. Now, they did lose Cosme to the NFL. You know, you know, Kersetter is going to move from center to right tackle, presumably, and he's was hurt. Is he going to be ready to go? So there are some moving pieces on the offensive line, but I think flood there, you know, there's going to be some a little some scheme changes. So are there some growing pains early? Um, maybe, and that's to be expected with a brand-new scheme, and who knows who the quarterback's going to be. So yeah, I'm at like seven six, so I'm I'm close to you, and uh, I have no interest in uh, the win total or a future. But there is a world where just everything works for Texas this year. Now it's asking a lot. You know, if you had Ellinger, be a different story. But you know, just not the unknown at quarterback, which can work if you want to take more of a shot with Texas on the upside. Uh, but I think their win total is priced right. You've allowed no time for analysis or decision making. You still have not taken into account the human factor. All right, let's move on to Oklahoma State. Their win total over seven and a half minus one ten. We talked with Brett McMurphy about Oklahoma State. This is Gundy's what seventeenth year. Again, been there forever. Their defense is going to be loaded. We don't need to go into their D. It's going to be really good. They bring eleven of their top ten t- tacklers are back. Um, it's it's going to be a really really good defense. The questions are going to be on offense. They lose seventy percent of their receptions and the kind of the headline story will be, they lost Hubbard and they lost Wallace, but you know, it's not like they were that involved last year. Um, but those were obviously two guys who went to the NFL, but you know, you also lost stoner, you know, Wolf transferred at receiver. Um, so there's, you know, you lost a lot of talent on the outside and the offensive line is, was last year. But first of all, it was just decimated by transfers and injuries and COVID. Um, you know, you do lose Jenkins, the right tackle to the NFL. It was a stud. You lose your center. You do add a Miami, Ohio center and, and Godlewski, who's, who's good. And Sills comes back at left guard. Your right guard and right tackle are back. There were so, you know, their sophomores got experience as freshmen. So there's some experience there, but still questions on the offensive line for Oklahoma State. Questions on the outside. You know, you're going to have some young guys. You're going to have Tay Martin, and some of you might remember him at Washington State. So can the offense step up? and take that next step for Gundy, who no longer has the mullet, by the way, because we know this D is going to be really good. So this is not a, this is not your older brother's Oklahoma State team. This is really, really, really good defense. Questions about the offense. Um, 
Yeah, the defense did, did lose Radarius Williams, who's a great cornerback, but they have NFL safeties and just the defense is loaded. Questions on the offense. Spencer Sanders, he's just – look, he's got a lot of talent. He also has to cut down on his mistakes and turnovers. The offensive line hasn't really helped him. There's been a lot of in, in flux around him, but he has to cut down on his turnovers, his bottom line. What are your thoughts on the Pokes? Well, I'm glad Brett's not on anymore. I might get chewed out from an alumni standpoint, and a crowded pocket is not the place Spencer Sanders wants to be. Offense returned 66% of, uh, we'll call it TARP, from transfer order activity to uh, returning production. They finished 102nd in success rate last year. They finished 90th in finishing drives. I would like to blame this all on the offensive line, but I it seems like it's a little bit more than that. It's just a lost year in 2020 with Chuba Hubbard. Tylen Wallace set to join Spencer Sanders for a Big 12 championship run last year, and then it just didn't happen. Pandemic. Got Gundy wearing an OAN t-shirt. We got strife within the program. We got COVID running rampant everywhere. It was just an absolute mess. Offense finished outside the top 100 success rate for the first time in a really long time. Whether that's mistakes from skill positions or gaps from the offensive line, it's just a unit that could not generate yards. 116th in line yards. Plenty of starters return to the offensive line, and the left tackle should be filled by a Juco transfer in place of Tevin Jenkins, who's now playing for the Chicago Bears. But the question is, is that enough to improve on a rank of 116th? Wide receiver is absolutely gutted from Wallace to Dylan Stoner to Landon Wolf, like you mentioned. That I know a ton of pokes backers would point to the reloading of skill positions, but maybe for once we should actually question this offensive staff. You know, I'll leave the defense alone because I think it's fine with Jim Knowles, but from an offensive perspective, when Oklahoma State was rolling, it was with Mike Yurisich. Now currently with, he went to Ohio State, now he's with Penn State. Mike Yurisich did amazing things in Stillwater from 2013 to 2018. Since then, we had the Princeton influx with Sean Gleason in 2019. Then longtime wide receiver coach Casey Dunn took over in 2020. The direction of the offense is going the opposite direction of where the defense is going. The defense was stellar under Jim Knowles, his fourth season as defensive coordinator, Pokes were the best third down defensive stop unit in the nation. 86% of this unit returns deep at safety. They maintain the defensive line. I mean, there shouldn't be much of a drop off from 11th and success rate and 10th and havoc. Another win total of 8.1 that I make similar to TCU with, with a bet MGM line at 7.5. But despite the mathematic numbers that I've got, I'm not going over on this team. The Pokes get Tulsa and Boise state in two of their first three games. And if the offense isn't clicking, if that offensive line hasn't figured it out, if Casey Dunn hasn't figured it out as offensive coordinator, if Gundy can't figure it out and Spencer Sanders can't throw a pass when somebody's in the pocket, they're going to struggle against Tulsa and Boise State. Now, I know Tulsa loses Zayvon Collins, the all-world everything, but they still return everything else on that defense, project that spread to be around 10. Now that then they have to go to Boise and they get Andy Avalos, who's known for his defensive coordinator skills, returns as head coach. That's great news for the Broncos' defense. That spread should be around four-ish. Oklahoma State favored by four. Those are must-wins to eclipse a, a, a win total of seven and a half. The Big 12 schedule includes Texas and at Iowa State on back-to-backs. And the three most explosive offenses. You want to talk about taxing your defense and maybe they're tired of, of carrying all the water? The three most explosive offenses come uh, against that stellar defense at the end of the year in TCU, Texas Tech with Tyler Show and Oklahoma. So I'm actually going to go against my mathematics with, say, 8.1. I think under 7.5 is the play on the Cowboys. Yeah, Oklahoma State road schedule is brutal. Boise, Texas, (laughs) Iowa State, West Virginia, Texas Tech. I mean, it is only five, but it's not an easy road schedule. Uh, I I had to shave half half of a win total off my number because Gundy got rid of the mullet. Uh, So I would, no, I'm kidding. But yeah, I I would either go 
I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much right on. The Big 12, a lot of the win totals, I think, are priced pretty accurately. So nothing for me with Oklahoma State. Let's kind of move down to that next tier then. I'll ask you about a pair of teams we could talk about all at once. <laughs> Kansas State and West Virginia. Two, you know, why I think that they're interesting. And if we want, we could throw Texas Tech in here because they have – three coaches who are all in year three, where at times you'll see a big jump. If you, you know, you get some more of your guys in there, you're, you know, you've got a couple of years of implementing your schemes and, and your changes. So you have Chris Kleiman year three, Kansas state, your boy, Neil Brown, year three at West Virginia, Matt Wells, year three at Texas tech, Texas tech over or under five, over five minus minus one twenty five. Kansas state over five and a half minus minus one twenty. West Virginia a little higher over six and a half minus minus one twenty. We can go a little more in depth with any of these teams, but which one of those three intrigues you the most or do you want to talk about first? Listen, I think what West Virginia is doing on the defensive side of the ball is amazing considering they had a swap out of defensive coordinator before last season and it was kind of a piece together coaching staff and the numbers they were able to put up, 15th in success rate, 18th in finishing drives, 20th in ha- defensive havoc, and you fired your defensive coordinator in a pandemic. I mean – Pretty amazing stuff. And I mean, really, they're struggling to find answers on the offense. We got our Bowling Green transfer, Jared Doge. Uh, We got a thousand yard back and Letty Brown coming back behind an offensive line that returns a bunch of players that allowed 76 tackles for loss. So when you look at West Virginia, they were 113th in tackles for loss per game on the offensive line. It's the biggest reason why West Virginia isn't a contender for the Big 12. And the reason that held them back last year, because the defense was absolutely stellar. That has to improve. Or Neil Brown is just going to have to find, you know, ways to have the defense win games. Letty Brown is is a good running back, but he only averaged 2.9 yards after contact. That's not like, you know, Trey Sermon five yards after contact type stuff. Uh, you know, so we'll see. I think the defense can carry them. Tyke Smith, you know, transferring to be in Georgia's secondary. That hurts a little bit. But Darius, you know, Darius Stills is in the NFL, but there's still stills left. Uh, I think that this is another year of build on the offensive side for West Virginia. Uh, there's no play here for me, but what you need to watch for if you were looking at West Virginia football is week one against Maryland. And the reason I say that is because Maryland on the defensive side of the ball was outside the top 100 in line yards. And if West Virginia has retooled this offensive line, they should be able to move the ball with Letty Brown against Maryland's uh, defensive line. If that can't happen in week one, it's going to be, a long season for West Virginia. So I'll get your thoughts before I pivot into Tyler's show and the Texas Tech show. Yeah, I mean, their defense was great last year. I mean, it was top, I think in some matches, they're number one against the pass. They were number two nationally in defensive success rate improvement from 2019 yeah. to 2020. Now, they, and they have a lot of talent coming back. You know, Mesador is a stud. They have one of the stills back. But they did lose a decent amount of talent. I mean, you lose Fields to the NFL at linebacker. You lose Tyke Smith. You lose Miller, your corner, to Auburn. You lose Jeffrey Pooler. Um, and then stills, the other stills is in the NFL. They have, you know, some promising transfers coming in though, that, you know, guys like Scotty Young who started in the bowl game. So they, they have some experience that are going to come in and, you know, you bring in Lance Dixon for Penn state, uh, a quarterback, Charles Woods from Illinois state who has a lot of promise that he's going to probably need to step up and start. So I think the defense will still be okay. I, it's not just a lock. They're going to be as good, which is scary because they were so good last year. And it's hard to maintain a top five level. So if there's any drop off, it's it's going to hurt because their offense needs to pick it up. And you have Deggy and Letty Brown's a good back. Their offensive line, they say they address it, but everyone says they address it, right? I mean, you know, you bring in a you know Doug Nestor from Vatech. I mean, how's it all going to work? We'll see. They lose three starters. Um, they get a couple guys guys back healthy. Their center has a lot of promise as a freshman All American. 
But one of the other biggest questions is drops. Their drops were awful last year. One of the worst teams in the nation as far as wide receiver drops. So, you know, they need to bounce back from Sam James. They need someone to just step up as the number one go-to receiver. I'm not sure that they have that. Otherwise, you're just going to – the offensive line isn't going to give you time and, and, you know, teams are just teeing off on Letty Brown. That's, that's you know, where I, I think West Virginia is going to struggle. So, yeah, I agree. I think the win total is right at about six and a half. They, I, I am interested to see week two they play Long Island. Um, yes, um, University yes. Sharks. In second year, and they their coach just resigned. Their quarterback then said he's leaving because of it. This happened like this month. Um, so that, that should be an interesting spread in game. Uh, I mean, it's July. Their coach just left. Their head coach. They're, so they're searching for a head coach. It's literally it's July 27th. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you on everything you said with West Virginia. Um, do you, do you want to take a receiver step up? We'll see. Yeah. Do you want to take a guess on what that projected point spread is going to be? Oh, God. I don't even – like, I don't know how to project Long Island. I, I, I <laughs> 55? I don't know. Based on Sagarin, 59 and a half. So that, yeah, that Long Island maybe. Sharks game, that's that's interesting. Can West Virginia muster that many points? What's the total going to be? It could be. It could be. I don't know. I mean, Long Island, they don't have they don't have a coach or a quarterback as of uh, like uh, two weeks ago. Um, uh, somehow I ran into a story about that. So, yeah, let's uh, – Baylor, I mean, it's Dave Aranda year two. So how much can you really take – from what happened last year in, in a pandemic year with Dave Aranda, they bring back some talent. You know, their defense should be a lot better. You would think under Aranda, Terrell Bernard, their stud linebacker comes back from injury. Now their offense is going to go in a different direction. You bring in the offensive coordinator from BYU and you lose your quarterback, Charlie Brewer. I don't know who their quarterback's going to be from everything that I've read. I mean, you have some, you, you guys might've heard of some of these things like Bohannon and Zena, like, you know, when Brewer was hurting in the, bowl game they've gotten some reps in the past you also have like a couple freshmen in the mix and uh shaping i think was the ahead of the race in in the spring he was supposed to be a baseball player but now he said he's focusing more on uh, on on football grimes is going to change this offense it's going to be like more wide zone splits so uh, you know then they couldn't run the ball last year they do get ebner back at running back so i have a lot of questions how the offense is going to work this year in year one of Grimes and then finding a quarterback. Um, I do think that Aranda will have this defense. Their defense wasn't bad last year. It was their offense. And, and I think the defense will take even an, another step in the right direction. But their offense last year, 125th in explosiveness. And their tackle for loss percentage allowed, dead last in the nation. I mean, just some scary, scary uh, numbers. They're over under, like I said before, five and a half. They do have an easy road schedule, like for a Big 12 team. In Texas State, Kansas Oklahoma State, Kansas State, TCU. So could be a lot worse as far as that. Uh, what are your thoughts on Baylor? The Dave Aranda defense, I was actually a little bit pleasantly surprised that they finished 54th in success rate, uh, considering how complex his defensive scheme is, because they line up in different, you know, whether there's two down linemen, three down linemen, it, it really changes. Hey, he moves that around uh, so much, but they were able to grasp that. Uh, they were 101st and finishing drives and 66th and Havoc. So they're not really there when it matters down in scoring opportunities. And, and they weren't really able to take the ball away pretty vanilla in those categories, but I expect the defense to continue to get better. They returned 75% uh, from a transfer portal and a returning production aspect. The offense is where all the question marks come. Just like you said, they can't get much worse. 119th and success yeah. rate. 113th and Havoc allowed. I mean, I, there was only like 127 teams that even played. So, you know, the, the listen, the biggest 
acquisition that we could say, I know we just ran, you ran through all the players and there's a lot of names on there that might not mean anything when it comes to Saturdays, but the biggest acquisition that Baylor made was to go and get offensive coordinator, Jeff Grimes to come in from BYU after, you know, one of the most successful offensive seasons a team could ever have in the Cougars last year. You know, you should expect an even distribution of run and pass. BYU had one of the best passing attacks in the nation, but still was 65th in rush rate. So, uh, you know, there's we're going to see something towards that. Uh, there's questions of quarterback with Bohannon and Zeno to an offensive line that went the transfer route and the transfer portal to fill some of the holes. Uh, is that a good thing? I don't know if that – I mean, the non-conference is, is cake with Texas State and Texas Southern and a completely depleted BYU team that now has Grimes – Baylor's offensive coordinator is going to have all the info on that BYU game. I mean, that's a huge leg up there. Uh, you know, can they get three games out of their conference? It, I mean, KU is a double-digit spread. West Virginia, Kansas State, complete coin flips. Uh, you would need all three of them to eclipse this win total. It's tough to do when there's so many questions on offense. The good news is this is a team that should win a minimum of four games because the schedule dictates it, but they have to find the offense if they're going to get over the hump and beat teams not named Kansas. I'm not sure Baylor can pull it off. To me, they're a they're a stay away until I see a, a sign of life on offense. Yeah, I mean the one good thing I always write down for these teams, I'll put, I'll mark down like I mark down for Baylor four conference road games, which is awesome because I don't can't count Kansas. So like right. you know, they only have four <laughs> and then Kansas. So they they have that working your favor. But I agree, and I think the number is about right. Uh, speaking of Kansas, but the other school in Kansas, we did kind of skip over Kansas State. Chris Kleiman's year yeah. three. Skyler Topsick was back for sixth year. He's got a good young running back to hand the ball to induce Vaughn. You know, they have questions at receiver. I mean, they need a guy like Malik Knowles to step up. And their offensive line, it, a lot of experience returns, which is good. Their defense loses a bunch. They're going to rely on transfers. Their defense was awful last year. It was just bad. And then their offense was not efficient. So does this team take a step forward in year three under climate? Any thoughts on Kansas State? Yeah, I mean, Skylar Howard is returning at the age of, what, 24 years old? Yeah, so Will Howard got some playing time when Skylar Thompson was hurt. So you do have two quarterbacks that have game experience. The offensive line has experience through the two deep. And one of the most explosive players in the Big 12 named Deuce Vaughn. But are these good things that the offensive line runs too deep and is most experienced when you're 112th in success rate and you're 101st in havoc allowed? This team is completely dependent on the explosive play. And the problem is, if it's not Skylar Thompson or Deuce Vaughn, they haven't identified anybody else. Success rate has plagued new coach Chris Kleiman two years straight now. Moving the chains has, has got to be a top priority this season and not allowing explosive plays to dictate wins and losses on both sides of the ball. Kansas State wins ball games when they have explosive plays and they limit explosive plays. Think of Arkansas State, right? Them beating OU and losing to Arkansas State is because of explosive plays. It has nothing to do with success rate, which is just a problem with Kansas State, and betting them week to week and year to year is an issue when you can't lick the whole success rate and controlling the chain. So, you know, the, the 3 3 5, they took some losses in the linebacker unit. Uh, that'll be a point of attack for all of the Big 12. Although two returning corners and, and safety, Jerron McPherson, are, are positive returns, K State didn't have an interception in their last five games. So five conference home games is good, like you mentioned. Getting Stanford and Arlington at full health and, and the very first game of the season, that's good. But Nevada and Carson Strong could be trouble especially when I say the point of attack is going to be in the middle of the field at the linebackers. Win total for me is a complete pass. If, if they're going to eclipse five and a half wins, then, you know, if you think that they're good enough to eclipse five and a half wins, then just take plus one and a half against Stanford in the first game. Yep. I, I think you make um, a decision against Stanford and, and you don't play the win total. 
You don't have to hold your money. I, I agree. I think yeah. the window comes down to that game, which is essentially a pick. I agree. They'll miss Hubert, too, on the defensive line. They give up way too many explosive runs last year. So they have a lot of issues, um, except that they could they'll, maybe they'll beat Oklahoma again. And then, in that, before we get to Kansas, which we probably won't spend much time on, Texas Tech, Matt Wells, year three. Last year, you look at the record, pretty lucky. They were 4-1 and one in one-possession games, 3-0 and oh in games decided by three or less against Kansas, Houston Baptist, and Baylor. 3-0 and oh in games, but I mean, that's just – so there's, but there's going to be some changes here. Tyler Shuck probably going to be your starting quarterback coming in from Oregon. Highly touted guy who started there. 2020, it, their offense was just bad. This was not Texas Tech. This is poor offensive line play, poor quarterback play. You know, you had Columbia who ended up coming in for Bowman, who just never looked right. Columbia would battle, but he's not, uh, you know, starting Big 12 caliber Texas Tech quarterback. Shuck at least has that pedigree. And more, you know, the stronger arm and he can move. So, I mean, the, the, the potential is there. They're going to change up their offense. Look, the AD came out and said, this is ridiculous. We need to, we're Texas Tech. And they brought in Sonny Cumbie to be the offensive coordinator we talked about before. Sonny Cumbie, this is what the AD is thinking about Texas Tech. 2004 led the nation in passing yards. I mean, these are the quarterbacks that Texas Tech is used to having. He threw for close to 5,000 yards. Threw for over 500 yards against the Cal when he beat Aaron Rodgers in the bowl game. So he's going to come in and they want to throw it more. And it, like last year was just that not your older brother's Texas Tech team. Defense wasn't bad. Defense is experience. It's not going to you know win any Big 12 championships. But the, the questions are on offense here. What can Cumbie do with Chuck coming in? There's a couple other questions here I have with and, – and the defense, there's some power five chances they're going to need to step up in the secondary. That's the main question I have there. But they lost, you know, Keyshawn Carter. They lost a lot of wide receiver talent. They bring in Troy transfer Geiger, who's, who's caught like 150 balls the last couple of years. But there's just no, there's a lot of questions at receiver, especially since Izukanma broke his arm. So he might not be ready for Houston or maybe the first couple of weeks. Their running back, Thompson, also had surgery in the spring. He might not be ready for Houston. I think that line has crashed. Um, or early on. So we'll see if this offense, which had way too many turnovers last year too, bottom 10 in turnover, actual unprojected turnover margin. They couldn't finish drives. Bad on finishing drives on each end. So yeah. does Cumby come in and is he allowed to just go all out air raid with Matt Wells? Does he let him do his thing? Um, I don't know, but that's what they're going to try to do. They averaged under 30 points for the first time since 2000 last year. Four of the 10 games, they didn't even get past 21. So – the D was a big improvement. I mean, they allowed almost a yard less per play than the year before. Um, but this is all about the offense. I mean, they lost Carter, Polk, Vasher to the NFL at receiver. So there's some injury questions on offense. Shuck coming in, you know, he's going to be working with, a, you know, not all of his parts in the spring and then this new scheme. And so I have some questions about Texas Tech. Road games, Houston, that's on a neutral. I think that's in Houston at NRG. Texas, West Virginia. Oklahoma, Baylor, and then they do get Kansas on the road. Total five, I think it's right about right. What are your thoughts on the Red Raiders? Yeah, I echo everything that you have to say. So, I'll, I mean, I'll just add a little bit. I mean, Tyler Shug is a huge upgrade from Columbia and from Alan Bowman. I mean, Alan Bowman is the walking Madden, uh, you know, hit your hot receiver with your X button. I mean, Alan Bowman was able to hit his number one receiver every passing play, but the second he had to check down, it, it just turned into a sham. So uh, I think he was you know, too afraid of getting hurt. He had all these injuries. Uh, well, like, yeah, that's a, all he could do. You have a pierced lung. I would be trying to hit yeah. my hot receiver too after I that got the it. balls. Yeah. 
So, you know, I think this is a huge upgrade here and Sonny Cumbie coming in after seven years of work at TCU. This team is going to pass all the time. Their identity is pass. Defense be damned. They're going to pass. I think it's a big improvement at the quarterback position. Uh, The defense is going to try to patch up holes through the transfer portal. But, I mean, the reason why Matt Wells is on the hot seat is because they're outside the top 100 and finishing drives on both sides of the ball. You're getting yourself into position on offense and you can't put any points on the board. Your defense isn't stopping anybody after they cross the the 40 yard line. If that doesn't resolve itself, maybe Matt Wells is Jordan Love's offensive coordinator in the NFL next year. I don't know what happened with that combo. It was on fire when they were together and maybe that happens again, but Wells might not be in this job very long. If they can't have an identity as a, you know, passing team and at least play a little bit of defense, you can't let Houston Baptist, you know, get 600 yards on you. So, I mean, the good news about them there are more super seniors in this defense than almost anyone in the nation. But, I mean, is that a good thing when you look at the overall numbers? 83rd in success rate, 85th in havoc. Uh, win total projection at 5.1. Win total sitting at 5. So not a play on the BetMGM number. But I think there is a way to play Texas Tech. And since 2013, Texas Tech is 23-3 and when opponents are less than 130 yards of rushing. So all you need to do really is handicap how many yards of rushing and play them on a week-to-week basis. I'm not saying from a futures perspective, play Texas Tech, but 23-3 and when opponents are less than 103 yards of rushing. uh, I think if you can just handicap that, that's going to work against Kansas. That's going to work against West Virginia. Uh, There isn't anything really particular special about the Houston running attack if you look at their advanced splits and who they bring back. But Texas Tech should be looked at on a game-by-game basis, and if they can stop the rush of the opponent, it's a team you should be playing on. So that's the only way to play Texas Tech, and, and we'll see if Wells can survive being on the hot seat. They do have a sick punter, I, just, I will say that, uh, <laughs> in Texas Tech, in McNamara. Hidden, so, hit, hit, hidden yards, baby, hidden yards. Yeah. All right, let's close out the Big 12 with uh, – I mean, I'm, we're not going to go too in-depth here with Kansas. Are, are we not? Bedham GM, one and a half. I'll let you go in-depth. Uh, <laughs> over – over one and a half plus one fifty. So if you want to play over, at least you're getting plus one fifty. This team that's lost about thirteen in a row. This is a team in two thousand eight was the top ten team in the country. Uh, they've done nothing since, but it's crazy to see how far far this has fallen. Obviously, a coaching change here. You bring in Lance Leopold from Buffalo. This is his first year. He was hired one day before the spring game. It's going to be a brand new staff. <laughs> he also brought a ton of new uh, Buffalo transfers with him. So brought a bunch of Buffalo players with him. Um, Justin Bean from North Texas, who I never loved. He transferred there. I don't know who's going to end yeah. up starting a quarterback. Uh, you have Miles Kendrick, Jalen Daniels still there. Uh, the team just stinks. There's not much more you could say. I mean, some of my favorite stats from the show, they allowed 5.2 sacks per game. That's the most by an FBS team in 10 years. They allowed five 40-plus yard punt returns. Nobody else allowed more than two. They allowed five. I mean, I, I bet them. I, I remember they had games where I was like, all right, they gave up a punt return. They would, they would give up multiple punt return touchdowns. I forget what game that was. Uh, the, oh, my God. Their punt return coverage, just the little things were also bad. So that's something that Leopold can at least fix, these things that will maybe help you cover, right? Like when you're catching they're catching 28-31 with Kansas, and then you can't even trust them to do that because they give up two punt returns for a touchdown, or they'd fumble a punt, or they'd get a punt flock. I mean, their special teams are just embarrassing. Yeah, they're switching back to a 4-3-D. They're going to rely on transfers. It's yeah, brand-new staff. I mean, what more can you say? Their away games are at Coastal, uh, Duke, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Texas, TCU. Uh, they're not winning any of those games. Uh, the games where – I mean, maybe they could beat Duke. I don't know. I mean, Duke is headed in the wrong direction, but don't think so. So, if you're going to look at their win total, I mean, listen, this is one of the worst teams. It's the worst Power 5 team 
in the country. You're going to look at their win total. I mean, I'm I'm at like one, but if you want to look at their schedule and be like, if I'm actually going to bet over one and a half, who could they beat? Well, they play South Dakota at home to open up the season. Yes, they could win that game. Um, and then to me, yeah, th- that's it. I mean, you, you know, you're it's Big 12. It's Kansas. If they're a little better, you maybe can steal a home game. You're counting on them, you know, stealing a game against Texas Tech or Kansas State or West Virginia to close the year. I, I don't say it, um, but I'm not laying – minus 180 under one and a half i'm also you could find over over one minus 195 so i mean no this is just not play on i'll end up fucking betting them during the week and losing money during the season i got nothing more on on kansas what do you got best thing is when i see stucky's twitter timeline he's trying to figure out when he's going to make his kansas play at some point he's going to make an akron play he's going to make a umass and a kansas play we just have to figure out when it's and he'll torture himself all week while he does it so Uh, listen, they're going to be comfortably flavored over South Dakota, and and the projection is our Action Network projection is one point three wins. So I think the question I don't know I can't give really a betting recommendation on going over or under one and a half because you're going to have to take some other game besides that initial opener against South Dakota. 127th in havoc allowed last year. There's only 127 teams that played. How do you get to be 127th and havoc allowed? Like literally you're hiking the ball and just handing it over. I don't even know how you get that ranking, but you know, KU bottom three big 12 recruiting since 2017 Buffalo has been dead last in recruiting most of the last five years in the max. So at least Lance Leopold's coming in and he knows how to manage a worst recruiting class in the conference. He did manage an against the spread team uh, since 2017, 31 and 15 against the spread for Lance Leopold at Buffalo. So if you want somebody that knows how to take chicken shit and turn it into chicken salad, Leopold's the guy that went down and found two-star Jarrett Patterson hanging out in Maryland, brought him up to Buffalo and turns out to be one of the best running backs in the group of five. Right. So, I mean, and he was recorded and he was recruited as an athlete, not even as a running back. So in, in Leopold's first year at Buffalo, you have to ask like when he came into that mess, what exactly happened? So they had won five games, and when Leopold came in, they won five games. But then the next season in year two, Buffalo went two and ten. So there was a dip when he was trying to establish his system. And I wonder if that's what's going to happen here with Kansas, if, if if they maybe get two wins, but then they dip next year as he tries to – we figure out where Kansas is even as a program. He brings in his offensive coordinator, uh, Cottle Nicky, uh, comes in, uh, Andy Cottle Nicky. Buffalo was fifth in rushing rate per snap. So while I can't tell you whether you need to go over under one and a half, something inside of me wants to go over just for the fun of it, the torture for the entire season. Buffalo, I will tell you that Buffalo was fifth in rushing rate. And what that means is, is Lance Leopold knows how to call games where they focus on the rush. The quarterbacks on this roster, Jalen Daniels, Juco Miles Kendrick, transfer Jason Bean, whatever, right? They're going to run the ball a lot. So what that tells me is if odds makers do not adjust, Totals that are in the 40s and 50s probably deserve an underlook because I don't think these games are going to go fast whatsoever. And if the defense shows any kind of life whatsoever, then that even helps the under even more. But this offense is not going to be fast. This offense is not going to have tempo. They don't have Jarrett Patterson to sit there and, and, and get you know 12 yards per carry. So I like playing unders on the totals in every game. Uh, I do think they're going to be improved from a coaching standpoint. It can't get any worse. It can't get any worse. Yeah. So the only, that's the only thing that's scary is, uh, well, I think didn't we mentioned Les Miles. There's stories of Les Miles paying off. Well, who's he paying off for people selling weed? I mean, it's just bad, but he, it's going to take time. If he's going to try and turn this around at all. Um, and if uh, <laughs> you want, if you want an ugly 
win total um, of a one, one and a half. I got one for you coming up. Um, hint, hint, UMass. I might be betting over one and a half with UMass. Uh, and I think there's a much better shot. They get two wins if they just need to beat like Rhode Island and uh, who is it? Yale what? or Rhode Island and Yale. What, so Why? I think there's a much better chance that um, now the price isn't as good, but if, if you're only in it for, I want to do this is hilarious for UMass and or Kansas, I'm going to be, and you want to no. join me on one. I'm no, we are almost positive. Yeah, I'm going to be betting UMass over. So don't don't do Kansas for your pain bet of the year. Listen, ULM is at one. UMass is at one and a half. We're taking one of these overs. I don't yeah, know which one yeah, it is. It's not I, Kansas. It's not Kansas. All right, it's not Kansas. It's not Kansas. No. And I wouldn't be shocked if Kansas lost to South Dakota, and then you're dead. Like, they should win that game. You need them to win that game. Um, and if they lose that game, you're dead in the water week one on your win total. Um, all right. Uh, and then they, can't, they you can't even get your money back. They're going to – you're gonna have to hold it and wait. Um, <laughs> so we got we got more uh, coming for you in the pain department. Before we get out of here, let's quickly go three and out. We'll just do a quick recap for you. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. First down. Let's go. Favorite win total. Uh, I'm, I'll start. I'm gonna say. Look, I thought the Big Twelve win totals. Like I, I have with all of my notes and all the previews. We're gonna do previews for every conference. And by the way, we have a college football channel for just these podcasts college channel but i, I have a lot of times i'll start next week totals that are like three or four that i like i'm leaning to this i i thought the big 12 the numbers are pretty good that are out there um my my favorite win total is only uh like i kind of like baylor i was thinking about baylor over just too many questions with the offense and quarterback um so the only other one that i show value and then like is TCU over seven and a half. Um, so that's where I'll go with my favorite win total. Where are you going? Yeah, no complaints there. I'm going to go with a team on the under, even though mathematically I'm not supposed to. I project Oklahoma State at 8.1. The number is seven and a half. I'd love it if this number was eight, but it's not. I'm going to go under seven and a half on Oklahoma State. And the reasons are pretty clear. The offense is going in the wrong direction. We're swapping out coordinators year after year. We finished outside the top 100 in success rate. Finishing drives was 90th last year. That number is getting worse and worse. And they had better talent last year. So I'm not a big fan of what's going on in Stillwater from an offensive perspective. Your defense can only take you so far uh, the end of the season. Listen, I don't like these out-of-conference games. Against Tulsa, Tulsa is a legit defense. And if your offense is sputtering, you could get beat. At Boise, that's a bad that's a bad game. From if you have an offense that isn't working, that's not a good place to go visit. You end the year against three explosive offenses in TCU, Texas Tech, and Oklahoma. So I'm going to go under Oklahoma State, uh, not for mathematic reasons, just because offensively they are not figuring it out and they're going the wrong direction. Yeah, uh, sorry, Brett, for that one. <laughs> uh, we will have you on there to make it up for you. We will have you back on. Uh, second down, favorite future. Here's the thing about the future. Every time you look at it, it changes because you looked at it. Uh, just any way you want to go with it. We'll, we'll always do this for the conversation. You could do a Heisman national title. I'll, I'll give two on the same team. and It'll depend on your the number that you can get. And I would agree at Oklahoma State. Try to find – not all the books are out. Try to find an eight. A juice yeah. eight. I would like that too. I would recommend that. Um, the – but I'm going to say Iowa State. I mean, I'm going to be – I've said it a bunch already. But if you could find like a 40-1, to 1, I mean, I'm high on Colin. I'm a higher on Iowa State than Colin. I wouldn't go under 30-1. to 1. I even wouldn't go 30-1. to 1. If there's like a 33, 35, fine. But try to find a 40-1, to 1, which is what I got at Circa. Um, 
And then I also played minus 110 to make the Big 12 title. Um, you know, so that, that number has gone up a little bit. But you can find like minus 110, minus 120. I'll explain why on third down. Or if you just want to take more of a shot. Um, and by the way, we do have somewhat of a natural hedge with TCU over and Iowa State making it um, to the Big 12. I still think there's a chance that Iowa State – based on my numbers that can make the big 12 title and TCU can go over seven and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously with them playing at the last game of the year, good chance, you know, worst case scenario, but you're splitting those. So how about you favorite future in the big 12? I would say to, to add on to that, I completely agree with all your numbers, very respectable numbers. Uh, those are the Iowa state buy points. I would say to make the big 12 championship game, you don't want to go past minus one thirty because you are going to have to hedge possibly against TCU. And that's probably what the money line in that game is going to be around. So I wouldn't go past minus one thirty. Those are very respectable. I'm just going to go for the granddaddy. This is the year Oklahoma is winning the national title. Uh, they finally have a defense that is going to be able to hang with the big boys of college football. This is a year in which Clemson fields a first-year quarterback. I know DJ has experience. Georgia has JT Daniels, new quarterback in a new situation. CJ Stroud going on for Ohio State, Alabama, Bryce Young. I mean, there's, there's new quarterbacks. There's new stuff going on with all the power programs, not Oklahoma. Hottest team coming out of 2020, defensive returns almost every single player. Besides Ronnie Perkins, listen, this is the team. This is the year. It's Grinch's year. It's Riley's year. Oklahoma, find it at eight to one. Don't go any lower than that. All right. And then finally, before we get out of here, third down, let's go with our Big 12 championship prediction. Uh, I'm going to say, and I'll tie it back into our interview with McMurphy, I'm going to say you and I will have a, it'll be a really interesting week leading up to TCU Iowa State winner. Uh, Iowa State has one loss. I'm going to say TCU has two losses um, and Iowa State on senior day wins that game. TCU wins the win total. Iowa State gets to the big 12 title. This obviously <laughs> uh, everything works out. And then Iowa State who loses to, who lost to Oklahoma in the regular season gets their revenge with the help of the big 12 officials. As long as it's uh <laughs> First and last play of the game, pass interference on long bombs uh, for Iowa State. But I'll say Iowa State. I got I'm sticking my gun. So I say Iowa State beats Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game. Where are you going? I love you and I sitting here in July calling our shots on Thanksgiving weekend here. Uh, I absolutely agree. TCU Iowa State is going to be for the play-in game for the Big 12 championship. I'm going to take TCU to win that game. Uh, should be a low spread, uh, definitely within six points uh, with TCU as the dog. And, you know, TCU can be found out there eight to one to make the Big 12 championship game. That is your deliverable. That is your actionable deliverable is the TCU should be played all the way down to four to one to make the Big 12 championship game. It's a number you can easily hedge out of against Iowa State in that uh, season ending game. It's a great spot for TCU to catch Iowa State. They might be coming off a loss against Oklahoma. Who knows if Matt Campbell's going to be able to get up off the mat if they take a loss there against the Sooners and come up against a TCU team that is just loaded at skill position, loaded at the edge position, loaded in places that you need to be to win this conference. Uh, so I'm going to take TCU to, to ruin the story for Iowa State, and uh, we'll see if the Big 12 refs are going to give the flags to Gary Patterson as uh, Oklahoma makes its exit from the conference. Yeah, well, that's a beautiful thing, making predictions about – Thanksgiving weekend right now, and everyone will forget if I'm wrong. Um, there's enough time in between. <laughs> but thanks again to 
Brett McMurphy for joining us. Good stuff there. Thanks, as always, to Colin. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week. We're going to go Big Ten and ACC. Two episodes in one day being released. One will be on this channel. One will be on the new channel. More details to come on that. And we will catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out.